following is a sermon preached at Grace Church of Orange, California. Join us now as we go verse by verse through God's inspired, inerrant, infallible Word. Please open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 12 through 18. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verses 12 through 18. This is the inspired, inerrant, infallible, authoritative Word of God. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight. And what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is but a striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. And Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, please open our eyes that we would see wonderful things in your word today. Lord, you know all things. You have the whole world in control. You know what you want to do even in our hearts during this time in your word. So Lord, have your way with us. All for your glory according to your will. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're looking today at Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. We cannot figure this out. We can't figure it out. It's like this puzzle, this, this mind-bending puzzle that we can't figure out. And we have so many questions right now in life. Like, how can I figure this current situation out? What is going on? What is happening? How do I respond? These are the questions that are on your heart today. How do I make sense of all the information coming my way? I mean, none of us knew weeks ago that we would be in such confusing, complicated times. We always live with this unseen killer sin, and now we're more aware of this unseen killer virus. And besides unprecedented, our vocab is now filled with words like travel bans, social distancing, quarantines, N95 masks, ventilators, essential services, pandemic, virus, disease, and death. And we're tempted to worry. We're tempted to get anxious or, or the other end of the spectrum just to go our own way, go according to our own mind, whatever we think is best, do whatever seems right in our own eyes. In this time, where do we find truth? Where do we find comfort? Where do we find direction? How often do we try to figure out our life by our own understanding? And we get swept up by opinions as they sweep the spectrum. And we know we need help. We know we need truth. We know we need answers. 
We're seeking those out. That's why I'm so glad that I'm preaching through Ecclesiastes right now. It is providential, Grace Church, that we are in Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter one is this one-two punch of unvarnished truth. Unvarnished truth. We're not in control, and we can't figure this out. Chapter one begins by telling us in verses one through 11, we saw this last week, we are not in control. We can't control life, we can't control the world, we can't control outcomes. We trust the sovereign God who is in control. We, we must trust God's exhaustive, meticulous providence. We must yield to Christ and control ourselves. Leads us to a second truth punch in these verses we have for today, verses 12 through 18. We can't figure this out. We, we cannot figure this out. And it leaves you asking, so where do I go with this? What do I do? Well, Ecclesiastes 1, 12 to 18 has the answer. And it's, this is part of a larger section in Ecclesiastes. It really goes from chapter 1, verse 12 to chapter 2, verse 26, where Solomon is telling how he looked Throughout the whole world, he examined the whole range of options that are available to humans in terms of human wisdom, and he was searching for satisfaction, and he found it nowhere. Solomon tells how he went to the world for wisdom, and he was looking for satisfaction in all the wrong places. Here was this man endowed with great wisdom from God and he temporarily wandered away and he's telling us the story of how he did it so that we wouldn't do the same thing. He forgot God. We can relate. Pick it up with me at verse 12. Put your eyes on the text. It says this, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. So he's setting the stage, he's telling us who he is, he has a prominent position, he's a prominent person, he's king over Israel in Jerusalem. Now what proceeds is a royal autobiographical text. It was very common in the ancient Near East. Uh, the king's autobiography in those days was a vehicle for self-serving propaganda. Popular wisdom said that a king must boast of his greatness to keep his enemies at bay, his people under subjection, and his place in history secure. They talked up their game. They tooted their own horn. They praised themselves. It was like a marketing campaign, selling something from an expert where you stack up accolades and accomplishments and degrees and endorsements from notable people, and you're trying to convince people to buy. but not Solomon, not Solomon. He confesses his failings. He doesn't toot his own horn, he doesn't praise himself, he doesn't talk up his game. He confesses his failings and his frustrations and his foolishness. He admits that he was unable to solve life's greatest problems and questions seeking man's wisdom. Israel's king had this experience. What does that mean for us? In verse 13, he tells us, 
I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. Key word under heaven there, key phrase. And, and you notice he doesn't mention the most important thing, fear of God. Fear of God. Worshiping God in his sovereignty. No, he is focused on the most prized thing in his culture at that time. Wisdom, man's wisdom. The best thinking man can do on his own. There's another, another way to define man's wisdom. The best that man can do on his own. We've all tried it. And we've all failed. Douglas Wilson put it this way as, as he's contemplating what Solomon is telling us in Ecclesiastes. He says, the descent into hell begins. Solomon here is using wisdom in a typical Hebrew fashion, uh, practically, not philosophically. It's very serious. He's concerned with ultimate questions, and he's concerned with truth. And, and you know what truth does? Truth forces us to admit that success can go bad on us and that nothing on earth has permanence. It's all gonna burn. Think of a snapshot of your daily life. Practically everything you have already done today was to make yourself happy. You got up, you fed yourself, you clothed yourself, you're, you're doing what you, you want to do. Uh, you, you might have stayed away from family members due to some you know, friction in the house or some bickering you heard. And for the rest of the day, you're going to do what makes you happy. Pascal said this, all men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they use, they all tend to this end. This is the motto of every action of every person. For the rest of the day, you're going to try to do what makes you happy. I mean, you long for happiness. You want to be happy, and not just on the surface, at the deepest level. All, all your pursuits in life, earning a living, finding a spouse, raising children, having fun, keeping fit, it, it all goes back to a desire to be happy. I mean, you're not motionless, you're not you know, just static, you, you plan, you dream, you, you want things, you have a goal, and your goal is to be happy. The preacher is the same as us. He wanted to explore everything under heaven. This is what he's telling us in verse 13, and it didn't make him happy. Look at the second part of verse 13. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. The business, the task, the word is task. It's grievous, it's unhappy. You can even translate that evil. That there's no solution after so much hard work and so much effort. This word for business or task occurs only in Ecclesiastes and it's eight times. And it, it's this, it's, it's busyness that humbles you. You know how you've been humbled by your schedule? You've been humbled by your failings, maybe you've been humbled by your health and you're scurrying around trying to figure it all out and it humbles you? 
God gives this task under the sun and it seems unrewarding. Later on, we're gonna see the task in proper perspective in chapter three, verses 10 and 11, where deep within every human being, God has implanted this urge to know the truth. But what we'll, we'll find out as we go through Ecclesiastes is that without God, the quest for truth and for eternity is fruitless. This is the first mention of God in Ecclesiastes in verse 13 here. God is mentioned almost 40 times, but what is notable is whenever God is spoken of, the covenant name Lord is not used in Ecclesiastes. This is emphasizing God's sovereignty in creation and providence. This is not his covenant relationship with man. And, and God is the supreme authority that is being referred to here. And he has appointed man a task. It's been appointed to humans, not animals. Animals go by instinct. In fact, one writer said this. It's better to be Socrates discontented because he cannot solve his problems than a contented pig. This painful business, burden, that's given the children of men, literally, in the Hebrew, it's the sons of Adam, which kind of throws you right back to Genesis chapter three and verse 17, where God says to Adam, because you listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree, which I commanded you not to eat of it, cursed is the ground because of you. In vain shall you eat of it all the days of your life. Where did the vanity come from? From the fall into sin. Verse 14. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after wind. Like the wind, what you want can't be held in your hands. You can't grasp it. I mean, think of Solomon. He was so wealthy, he could send envoys to India and Egypt and Ethiopia and Babylon and Greece. He could send envoys to the ends of the earth, searching out life's toughest questions. He could send people to ask everyone everywhere, how do you face the brevity of life and the certainty of death. How do you deal with life? How do you figure it all out? The exhaustive search fails. There's no answer to the basic question, what is life's purpose? Same thing happens now. Renowned physicist Stephen Hawking investigated the origin of the universe, and in the process, he was seeking to disprove God's existence. He failed. Tolman says, it's all striving after wind. That phrase, striving after wind, can be translated shepherding the wind. It's like trying to corral the wind. The wisest king had windy pursuits. He's trying to capture vapor. I mean, think about it. Shepherding the wind, that's like, Herding the wind. Picture a shepherd attending to, uh, attempting to herd some sheep and goats. You try to do that with the wind, you're going to be left with empty hands. Moves on in verse 15 and says, look, what is crooked cannot be made straight. What, what is lacking cannot be counted. This is a proverb. Now Solomon is known to have put together some 3,000 some proverbs. 1 Kings 4.32 tells us that and he composed and collected many, many proverbs. And according to this one, mankind, mankind cannot change what is done. 
Only God can alter the reality of your existence. Despite your best efforts, some crooked matters will remain. Over in chapter 7, verse 13, it, it tells us, consider the work of God. Who is able to straighten what he has bent? I mean, think about it. After the fall, God cursed the ground, giving rise to thorns and thistles, Genesis 3, 17 and 18, and then up springs tornadoes and hurricanes and cancer and viruses. Romans 8.20 tells us creation has been subjected to futility. That's vanity. It raises questions we cannot answer nor understand. Why does a tornado destroy one house on one side of the block and not the one across the street or the one right next door? Why does cancer strike some people and not others? Why does coronavirus strike some and not others? All these questions, no answers. And then he starts getting to the heart of what he's trying to tell us here. Verse 16, look at verse 16. I said in my heart, you're always thinking, right? We're always telling ourselves things. Some of you tell yourself untrue things. Some of you tell yourself true things. But he, he said in his heart, well, I've acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. That's his quote to himself. Verse 17, then he says, I applied my heart. I, I set my heart. I was intent on this, to know wisdom and to know madness and folly, the opposite of wisdom. And he says, I perceived, I figured out, I learned that this is but a striving after wind. He couldn't figure it out. It didn't prevent his downfall. It didn't prevent his dissatisfaction with life. It didn't prevent him from being downcast over the truth. Because getting all the wisdom in the world proves to be nothing. David Gibson put it this way. First stop, Jerusalem University. He studies, passes all his exams, studies philosophy to understand how and why he understands. He studies the opposite of sanity and wisdom, madness and folly, to see what light they shed on understanding. All combined to be a striving after wind. He learned so much, yet his, his heart aches like a man who knows nothing. And we are convinced that knowledge will make us happy. Just get into the best schools and study hard and achieve results and climb the ladder, you're gonna go far. The preacher says that pursuit is as old as the hills. Solomon says, the more I knew, the sadder I got. Because man's wisdom amounts to nothing. You know, back in verse three of this chapter, we, we, we see the question, what gain is there for all man's toil that he toils under the sun? What gain? The Hebrew word yithron means profit, advantage, even leverage. What leverage are you getting from all your attempts to figure out life. This, this word for gain is used 10 times in Ecclesiastes. The root idea is surplus. Solomon is saying, he's observing, you don't get anything extra for knowing all the useless facts. 
He says in verse 18, in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. There's another proverb. The more knowledge this old king obtains, the deeper his grief becomes. It's like the more you know, the more you know you can't figure it out. Man's wisdom leads to the same conclusion. Every new bit of info plunges Solomon deeper into hopelessness. Humanly, he realizes there's no way out of this quicksand. The expected outcome of knowledge is happiness, and Solomon says, nope, didn't happen. Not going to happen. Again, points us back to Genesis. God laid the curse on us because we put the curse on ourselves. The whole created cosmos turned against Adam and Eve to work all toil. We shepherd the wind. We can't figure this out. Verse 18 really does take us back to the story of Adam and Eve and the serpent and eating the fruit of the tree of knowledge because once they would eat that fruit, they would know the secrets of wisdom. The Hebrew word to know is three times in Ecclesiastes 1, 17 and 18. And what Solomon is saying is, well, despite man's best efforts on his own, the knowledge of life's answers escapes man's grasp like trying to shepherd the wind. Solomon's descent into hell, and maybe yours as well. He set himself to figure it all out, and he fell away from God with his eyes wide open. Take the warning. Take heed. I want you to notice something. I want you to notice that in this passage, Solomon is doing some self-centered things here. He applied his heart to seek. He communed with his own heart. He said to his heart, and that was a descent into madness and foolishness. You'll notice in verses 13 and 17, he said his heart. And then in verse 16, he said to himself. So he's talking to himself. He's, he's very intent in his own pursuits. Problem is, And you need to write this down. This is, this is a biggie, okay? The problem is that what Solomon was doing with his heart, he should have been doing with the word of God. His own father, David, had instructed him to do just that, to set his heart on fearing God and keeping God's commands. So The problem is that Solomon is doing in his, in his own self what he should have been letting the word of God do to him. He should have set his heart to know God and know his word. Why do you think at the very end of Ecclesiastes, Solomon says, the end of the matter is this. Fear God and obey his commands. Worship God's sovereignty and do what his word says. He should have let the word speak to his heart. At this point in his life that he is telling about, he stopped 
relying on God's revelation. Fatal flaw. He received man's wisdom. He responded to it. And it resulted in unrest. He should have set his heart to receive the word of God and to respond to it and to rest in its work. Like Ezra, chapter seven, verse 10, Ezra set his heart, notice the phrase, he set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. That's what Solomon should have been doing. In 1 Chronicles 22, verses 11 and 19, David tells his son Solomon, you set your heart to to worship God, to seek God, to follow his word. Set your mind, set your heart to seek the Lord your God. Follow his ways, follow his word. You see so many kings in Israel doing evil. 2 Chronicles 12, 14, Rehoboam did evil, did not set his heart to seek the Lord. But then you come to Joshua chapter one, you go back over to Joshua one, where where Joshua gets this word, be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. He, He gets this word, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate upon it day and night, then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have success. Very crucial word there, success. In the Hebrew, that word success literally means to act wisely. You want to be wise? Go to the word. I mean, right now, think about your life right now. It is so easy to waste a day, isn't it? You got all this time on your hands and you're home and you're doing all these things you think and you get to the end of the day and you're like, I think I'm doing less than I used to do. It's easy right now to waste a day. Go to the wisdom in the word. We can't figure this out. Man's wisdom fails. Trust the faithful word. This is what Solomon is is almost screaming to us in in his spiritual journal as we're reading his mistakes. Proverbs 13, 13 tells us, he who neglects the word will be in debt to it. You won't know what it says. You won't know what to do if you neglect the word of God. But he who fears the commandment will be rewarded. It is unwise, my friends, to ignore the word of God. The word of God is wise. The word of God makes you wise. Our words are weak. God's word is weighty. Jesus himself said in Luke eleven twenty eight, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. It's like James said, don't just be hearers, be doers of the word. You will depart from the word to your own demise. Not by might shall a man prevail. As Zechariah says, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Man seeking his own way with worldly wisdom is the enlightenment gone wrong. Man cannot reach God by unaided human reason. Mankind keeps doing the same 
feeble things over and over again, propping himself up, coddling himself with his own ideas. And Solomon says, been there. Paid the stupid tax. Solomon is sharing his testimony so that we would avoid the traps that ensnared him. As we go on in Ecclesiastes, we're going to see his pursuit of pleasure and how badly that went. But the lesson for us today is man's wisdom fails. Trust the faithful word. We can't figure this out. We can't understand life apart from God. The one enthroned in the midst of smoke and cloud can alone deal with the vaporous nature of life. Worship God, the sovereign one, and trust his faithful word. Now what are you to do with that? What are you to do with that? And what do we do as a church with that? And the answer is very simple and really tough to pull off unless we're trusting God and his wisdom and his strength. Here's what we do with all of this. We know that man's wisdom fails and we need to trust the faithful word. Then we need to keep doing what God's word says. Keep doing what God's word says. So first, keep trusting and obeying God. Keep doing that. The the word says to do it. it. There's wisdom in that. Look to the sovereign God who has everything figured out. Entrust your life to him and obey his word. The only way you're going to see the world accurately is through the lens of the word of God. So first, keep trusting and obeying God. Secondly, keep hearing and doing and preaching the word of God. Keep hearing and doing and preaching the word of God. First in your own heart. The word makes you wise. Our words are weak. God's word is weighty. Now is the time in your life to go deep in the word of God. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Set your heart to know it. Let it speak to your heart. Counteract all the things that you're saying to your heart. And in your home, daily worship must be the daily norm. I hope you're seeing how important it is to get in the word of God and prayer with your household every day. You've been hearing me say this for years, Grace Church. And now you have opportunities to build habits to continue when life gets somewhat back to normal. Redeem this time. And and not just in your heart and your home, but in the church, we are commanded. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 2 through 4. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. The time's gonna come when people are gonna accumulate teachers that will say exactly what they want to hear to scratch their itching ears. They're gonna turn away from the truth and turn to myths. Keep preaching the word. We are committed as a church. We are committed as a church to the preeminence of Jesus Christ and the preaching of the word of God and the power of prayer and the purity of the gospel, the priority of the church, practicing biblical ministry, 
the progressive sanctification of believers and preparing future leaders. And I'm gonna tell you what, we're gonna keep doing that no matter what. As God gives us strength, as God gives me air in my lungs, as my heart keeps beating, we'll continue doing that. And then we gotta preach the word in the world. See the fields, white for harvest. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. The harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Beseech God, beg God, get on your knees and ask God to send you and many others. Third, we need to keep praying. We need to keep praying. First, we need to keep trusting and obeying God. Second, keep hearing and doing and preaching the word. Third, keep praying. Do it humbly. Do it boldly. Come boldly to the throne of grace to receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is the time of need. Pray fervently and continually pray without ceasing that the creation would be set free from its bondage to decay, Romans 8, 21. Third, keep praying. Fourth, keep loving people. The Bible tells us to keep connecting. You say, well, we can't meet, we can't connect. Well, you know what, we wanna meet. And we're doing what we can. I mean, we gotta ask the question, what does it mean to be a church right now? How do you operate when you can't meet? We miss togetherness. We miss fellowship. But some mistake togetherness for fellowship. Some think that fellowship is togetherness. Togetherness is being with those you like. You can get that in a club. Fellowship is sharing life and resources with family in Christ where you choose to accept and love and sacrifice for one another. Biblical fellowship goes deeper than togetherness. I mean, during this time, as we try to connect, be mindful of what the word of God says. Hebrews 10.25 says, do not forsake the assembly. Do not willfully abandon worship and fellowship with fellow Christians. It doesn't mean walking into a place and sitting in a chair. It means interacting with your brothers and sisters in Christ and pouring your heart out to them in love and care and sacrifice and caring more about them than you care for yourself. Romans 13.1 says, obey the governing authorities. Under God, we want to be the best citizens of our earthly cities. And Hebrews 13.17, for every church member and attender, here's what it says, obey your leaders. Submit to them. Now, they're to, to lead, we're to lead humbly and, and as servants. Obey your leaders. Submit to them. They are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. I will give an account. Our elders will give an account. Our pastors will give an account. And it says, let them do this with joy and not with groaning that would be of no advantage to you. Because we're loving people, by the way, not just connecting, but caring. I am so blessed to see so many of you pouring your hearts out and caring for people in the body of Christ, writing letters, delivering food, making calls. I just wanna say, Grace Church, thank you for loving well. Thank you for loving well. Well, thank you for caring for the body of Christ. It is not what you gather, it is what you give that shows the kind of person you are. So what do we do in this time? We are to first keep trusting and obeying God. We are second to keep hearing and doing and preaching the word of God. Third, we are to keep praying. Fourth, we are to keep loving people and one more. We are to keep repenting. 
to keep repenting of our sin, of our sinful attitudes, of our ungodly worldviews. You know what the biblical worldview says? I care what happens to you. You know what the pagan worldview says? I don't care what happens to you. Paganism is selfish and godless. No mercy, it's survival of the fittest. Evolution says it's good that the weak die. It thins out the ranks. That's sick. A biblical worldview has mercy and love and kindness and concern and service and caring and only a worldview based on the word of God explains how the world operates. You cannot figure it out otherwise. Martin Luther in the first of his 95 thesis, said that the whole Christian life should be one of repentance, wholehearted submission to God, where you acknowledge the Lord, where you acknowledge your sin, where you say, I know I deserve hell, where you acknowledge God's judgment on your sin, where you acknowledge your need and you cling to the Lord Jesus Christ. See, everything in life should drive you to repentance, especially a worldwide virus. What do we do right now? We do what the word of God says. We don't want to waste our days right now. We, we know man's wisdom fails. We need to trust the faithful word. We need to keep looking to Jesus. By the way, we're ending chapter one today. And I don't want you to leave Ecclesiastes chapter one without remembering that Jesus entered into the vanity and the vexation of life here on earth to save sinners. Follow Jesus. He is the wisdom of God. You see what Ecclesiastes does? It paints you into a corner. You can try as hard as you'd like to figure life out. You're gonna get one dead end after another. Look to God and his authoritative word. There you will find truth and freedom and life. Humbly submit to Jesus Christ who went to the crooked cross to die for your sins in your place. And for those of you that feel like you have majorly blown it, there's lots of days I feel like I've blown it. Too critical, too self-centered, too unloving. And God has given me many wake-up calls. And I think what God is doing right now is giving us all a wake-up call. You're worried about your life. You're worried about your loved ones. You're worried about your livelihood. God is in control and he knows all things. You can't figure this out. He has everything figured out. And by the way, God is more concerned about your life and your family and his church and his world than you are. Your struggle right now is not catching God by surprise. He has provided what you need in Christ, joy and peace and forgiveness and grace. And I wanna tell you right now, grace runs downhill. So if you're in the valley, if you're in in a ditch, if you're in an alleyway, God will meet you there in the person of Jesus Christ. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And Christians, it's more than becoming a Christian, it's living as a Christian every day. Trust Christ's work. Let me tell you what John Calvin said. God declares to us that Jesus Christ, who once had his side pierced, today has his heart open as it were, that we may have assurance of the love that he has for us. And he who once had his arms fastened to the cross now has them wide open to draw us to himself. And he who once shed his blood, today he wishes for you to be plunged within it. 
God invites you so sweetly and Jesus sets before you the fruits of his death and resurrection. Come take your stand with the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. He died in your place on the cross for your sins. He was buried. He rose on the third day. He has promised to return for all who believe, for all who place their trust in his work and not theirs, for all who will trust his wisdom and not theirs. Look to Christ. Every present trouble, every present struggle, all your suffering will soon be over. And every believer will soon be with Jesus forever. We cannot figure this out. God already has it figured out. Lean on God and his word. Keep doing what the word of God says. Trust the faithful word. And let me close with these words of an old song by Helen Howarth Lemel. O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Amen, Grace Church? Amen. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you that every present struggle, that all suffering will soon be over, that every believer will be with you forever. Lord, may we not waste our days right now. May we go to your wisdom in the word. We acknowledge, we admit, we confess, we can't figure this out. Our wisdom fails. Lord, by your grace, help us to trust your faithful word. Let me pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about grace, please visit our website at graceorange.org.